I mean, Aerosmith gets a lot of ridicule, though. Which I think is out of bounds. I love me some Aerosmith. I don't think it's out of bounds. They got kind of... Yeah. They were phoning it in for a number of records. No, they brought it 100% every time. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think you're mistaken. No, No, it was always flawless. Welcome to the So So Cool Podcast, everybody. Uh, The podcast where we listen to albums that we sort of liked when we were younger (laughs) and determine if they're cool or if they're just so-so. My name is Brandon. And I'm Joe. I'm Matthew. And today we are talking about an album that none of us were super into and none of us are super into now, but... I'd say I was uh, pretty into it. I'd say I was pretty into it. Okay. Back then. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. All right. We well, we got Joe was was pretty into this one. <laughs> I remember Joe being really into this one. Yeah. 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 Well, Joe's got a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> uh, but how are you guys doing, Joe? How was the wedding? Oh, it's good. It's good. Um, yeah, I prepared my um, five minute, my tight five on um, wedding music, which I thought would be appropriate for here. All right. Um, no, I'm just kidding. They had a, a thing on their wedding website that was like, what song do you want to hear? Um, and I was like trying to be, I was joking around with another guy at the wedding that's like a metal guy, but also just kind of a general music nerd. And um, I think he requested Once in a Lifetime. Um, and I requested Give Me a Little Sign by Brenton Wood. Um, you know that song? Um, it's like, just give me some kind of sign, girl. Oh, my darling. It's like a late 60s kind of soul song. And we were just talking about how huge of assholes we were <laughs> because... <laughs> everybody else was just like i guess everybody else requested just like late 90s and early 2000s hip-hop songs and we were like the trying to be offbeat different guys and nobody enjoyed those songs so um anyway yeah but other than that it was pretty fun oh and also i was texting you guys about it um the rehearsal dinner was at this brewery and there were some awesome there was a really great 90s butt rock um playlist playing at the brewery which i was commenting yeah yeah commenting to people um so uh yeah bulls on parade played which is just weird to hear out in the world um when you're like talking to your friend's mom and all of a sudden you're like (laughs) <laughs> pocket full of shells <laughs> um and uh fuel played which you know they're hometown heroes for us so it's yeah. good to hear the old harrisburg boys getting some play out here on the west coast there's still a market for that stuff 
microbreweries in Tacoma, Washington. I feel like the butt rock uh, stuff is still going strong. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we've talked about butt rock on the on the podcast. So if anybody doesn't know what that where that term comes from, it's it's like radio stations that are the kind of radio stations that are like we play nothing but rock, and that's where the butt rock uh, comes from. And so it's stuff like fuel and stained and Lincoln Park. I think like uh, this the um, Rob Harvilla podcast that we may or may not have mentioned on this pod before about the nine 90s. Um, but he referenced recently on one episode that if you look at the um, top songs played on, uh, there's a term for it, a classification for like rock radio that's something like uh, you know, modern rock or something. I don't know, whatever is the way radio stations are classified. Um, and -hmm. if you look at those stations, the, um, most popular played songs now are basically all songs from like 1993 to 1995. Yeah. Essentially. Um, so 93 to 95. Is that what you said? Something like that. Yeah. I don't remember the exact, uh, um, yeah, the exact, uh, uh, stat there or yeah, he, he listed off the songs and it was, you can go and listen to that pod if you want to find out the specifics. <laughs> uh, but it's just really interesting. In other words, that stuff does still have a lot of play. And in fact, like they don't play stuff that's like being made now. I wonder if they play like Greta Van Fleet or stuff like that, like Pepper in like Royal Blood and Greta Van Fleet every now and then because I can't think of many other bands that are making rock music that are really big. Well, this gets to like what the definition of rock music is, which we could just do the entire podcast on that because I mean, there's a lot of like guitar based um, music that's being made that I think maybe, maybe call like indie. I mean, does that count as rock? Is like Phoebe Bridgers is like super popular. Does that count as that's rock definitely music? not being played on the like hard rock stations, right? Um, but hard rock. Yeah. These are all definitions I think, that are hard for me to grok. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But there are there there are those specific stations that play like the hard rock. The butt rock stations. Music, like, like the, yeah, exactly. The X was here, WMR in Philly. They're, I mean, it's always, and then they have those, like, kind of raunchy morning guys. <laughs> Preston and Steve. <laughs> and David Cross. And, you know, hanging out, and there's always, like, two guys. There's always this guy. There's this guy who talks like this. He's really, and he's always named after some kind of animal. He's always the bear or the cooter, you know. Or whatever. And then there's his partner who talks like this. So it's this guy and this guy. And he's always the madman or the crazy doctor. You know, all right, you're listening to KC 103, Kansas City's home of the rock. You know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so, boys, Tragic Kingdom. 
no mm-hmm. doubt. Ninety five. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, this is one. This is <laughs> one of the biggest albums of the nineties. Um, certainly one of the most iconic nineties albums. Most iconic nineties cover art. Uh, but let's talk about that. But first, um, no doubt was formed in Anaheim, California, in nineteen eighty six by Eric Stefani, Gwen's older brother, who played keyboards, and Gwen. And um, they were sort of the only two who would be considered the founding members, along with uh, John Spence, who was the original frontman and lead singer. And, uh, you know, the rest of the guys came on not too long after that, but they have been, they were a band for a long time before they hit it big. They were kind of, one of the biggest bands in the in Orange County in the Orange County music scene for a long time. Just to get this out of the way, no doubt on this record was credited as Gwen Stefani on vocals, Tom Dumont on guitar, Tony Canal on bass, and Adrian Young on drums. And Eric Stefani is is credited as playing piano and keyboards, even though he had already left the band prior to the album coming out. And uh, yeah, so. What do you, what is your guys' recollection of this album? Um, well, I I had it, and it, I just remember it being huge. I remember I was looking at the um, uh, the singles, and they released singles off of this album for I think over two years. I remember at the time it seemed like they were promoting that album forever and they were touring on it forever and it was just like in the um like in the consciousness for a really long time on MTV and stuff like that and i was not even maybe fully aware that it was all kind of from one album until i bought it because i probably bought it a year or two after it came out and i liked it a lot at the time I haven't listened to it probably since high school obviously some of the songs are so sort of woven into the social fabric that you just hear them all over the place but I haven't went out of my way to listen to it in a really long time yeah I didn't I didn't have this album I had their um self-titled and I remember liking it but it never really Never really latched on to No Doubt very much. I do remember this, well, um, the handful of singles very well um, because they were everywhere. Yeah, this album, listening to like the singles off of this album reminds me of like the the roller skating parties in elementary school era. (laughs) Just because these songs were such a staple of of the culture at the time. I was a ska kid, and so the way that I ended up getting this album was, I, I believe, in like seventh grade. Um, you know, I was I was wearing my, I was a kid wearing Airwalks and with a with patches on his <laughs> backpack that said like just ska, like <laughs> I had a ska patch, <laughs> and. Um, stickers on my trombone case and stuff. I was very into ska. And I remember having a conversation with one of our friends who has come up many times on this podcast, but 
um, I mentioned I loved ska and he said, oh, like, no doubt. And I remember being like, no, but like real ska. And he was like, no, but they, they are real ska. And I was like, well, no, you know, cause at this point, this is like a year after it came out and like, don't speak is the big, you know, don't speak is on the radio. And I'm listening to that. I'm like, that's not the ska I'm talking about, my dude. So, um, I was a bit of a gatekeeper and turned my nose up a little bit to no doubt by the time that I was into ska. But I remember I, I, me and another girl in our, in our class in junior high won some sort of thing. And they gave us one of those sheets, like it was like BMG music group. Remember those big sheets where you could just like pick albums off of them. And, um, and it was enormous, but it was mostly just the mainstream stuff so i was looking for stuff that i was interested in and that is how i ended up ordering through the school uh the no doubt tragic kingdom cassette and i listened to it a little bit but not a ton and i wasn't super into it and it wasn't something that i like sought out myself um so i kind of got it in in a backwards kind of way and and like i said i kind of turned my nose up a little bit at like this is pop this isn't ska Uh. (laughs) do you want to um drop some names of some of the bands that like when you were in seventh grade that you felt were like true really true to the ska the the ska legacy yeah so i originally got into it through christian ska because that was actually a really big scene people wouldn't expect it but the Christian punk and ska scene. When I was in like sixth grade, I ended up going to a show with some friends and saw Five Iron Frenzy and Goaty Hook. And I became instantly like, oh, this is this is something I'm going to be super interested in. Because I was a trombone player and a like kind of nerdy kid. And um but then I got into the the Christian ska bands for a little while, OC Supertones, Five Iron Frenzy, The Insiders. And then as I started to see them on TV and through friends, uh, Real Big Fish, Goldfinger, Less Than Jake, Buck 09, just a, a, just a bunch of these bands that were big at the time. My favorite ska bands of all time were came out in 1998. Uh, my three favorite were Real Big Fish, um, Goldfinger and Less Than Jake's albums that came out in 1998. That was was my (laughs) epitome of what I liked. Uh, Save Ferris, did I say that one? That was another one that kind of sounded like No Doubt. Uh Uh-huh. This is what I would have considered real ska. Um, And it sounds a lot like No Doubt, just without a certain poppy element. sounds very um early Gwen Stefani style of singing totally totally and like what would you say to a non to just a a, the uninitiated that makes ska um unique and like why doesn't this no doubt stuff 
make you feel like it's true ska? Um, looking back on it, it's way more ska than I remember it. Um, but, uh, I mean, just a very quick history of ska. It, it started in Kingston, Jamaica in the late fifties and early sixties. It was a precursor to reggae and, uh, it had a very distinctive, distinctive rhythmic pattern of these upbeats and horns and, um, it's basically kind of like a faster version of, of reggae. And then it caught on really big in Jamaica. And then people who, who had kind of migrated it to England. And then there became this thing called two-tone ska, which was combining kind of the English punk and the, the Jamaican ska together. And there it became kind of a... Um, a big emphasis on unity, and there was a lot of like inclusiveness about um, a lot of the bands were multiracial, um, and uh, then it sort of migrated to America at the end of the '80s, and um, some of these bands that we've been talking about before we started recording the podcast, but like Fishbone and Operation Ivy, and and a band called Hepcat, and uh, these bands were making. What, what became known as third wave ska and third wave ska is what really became huge in the late nineties, starting with sublime and no doubt making it kind of really big, but, but people who are pure purists of ska probably wouldn't say sublime and no doubt are pure ska because what they became famous for wasn't a pure version of ska. It was kind of like a mixture of things, which makes sense. Yeah. I remember you playing me, um, you played some Five Iron Frenzy for me, and I remember liking it, but it just never, like, Ska just didn't really stick with me. I did have, like, a moment with Sublime, and like I said, a little bit of a moment with Early No Doubt, but it never really made a huge impact on me. It wasn't something that I'd go to. Um, Like, I just kind of listened to it here and there. Yeah, I was just going to say, same and I think for me, um, stuff like No Doubt had a pop um, kind of spin to it. Sublime had kind of like a dub, like groovier, rockier kind of spin to it, um, which I liked. But I think the for me, I think part of the the re- the core of me not getting into it is just it's too positive, like. There's no darkness to it at all. To the sound? Yeah, yeah. Not not necessarily the content, lyrical content. Yeah. Sometimes I'm just like, I just, I can't, like, I got to have an edge or a darkness or something. Um, And that's not universally true, but that's like, just like kind of my gut reaction. Probably why, part of why I didn't get into it when I was, I think I'm a little bit more open to, to different sorts of things but i think when i was young that was also part of it well there's something to be said for finding yourself at 11 years old at a punk ska show and the the feeling that that gave me and like being in the front row and seeing this band i'd never heard before and then pulling me up on stage and like holding the microphone up to my face and stuff and being like whatever this is i wanted to be a part of it and I, you know, 
it was it was kind of like a whole scene and it was kind of like really important to a lot of people um that i knew and it was kind of a it was it was almost the most significant music scene i was ever a part of even though it was very short-lived um it was kind of the most uh like like later we got in like progressive rock and stuff but i didn't like change the way i dressed no matter how hard we tried yeah right. <laughs> yeah but like but like i i you know i subscribed to inline skater magazine and stuff and and uh, all these kinds of things of the the punk skating scene was something that i was just really drawn to and i just i really enjoyed ska music for a while which is something that a lot of people did and then they decided that they didn't um <laughs> pretty much the entire uh, uh, country um, <laughs> decided at some point, like, no, we don't like this anymore. Um, and that's partially because it became enormous, like it blew up and no doubt is partially to blame for that. But we'll talk about that more. But So it's kind of an interesting time. I think we talked about it a bit on the cake pod, but there was the ska thing and then there was like the swing revival. Mm-hmm. And you can see that in... Um, when I, I was watching some of the videos from the, the singles on this album and like the way that they dressed and stuff, it was very mm-hmm. nostalgic because it's like, uh, I remember some of the people we went to school with, but also like older kids and like young adults who would like, you know, um, and like the way Gwen Stefani dressed was like very influential to like people a little older than us when we were kids. Um, and had that kind of sort of mid-century throwback retro vibe. Um, so it was just kind of in the ether in the mid to late nineties. And I was thinking, uh, earlier too, I, uh, this probably extends to pop and the swing revival. Um, and many, many people have made this observation that just like the early nineties, dark music was very popular and this seems like it was a reaction to that yeah for sure yeah there was there's this documentary that came out a couple years ago if anybody is really interested in 90s ska or is just interested in in this conversation there's a really fun documentary called pick it up ska in the 90s and i was watching it um just a little bit ago to sort of refresh my memory about what they said about no doubt. And, uh, there's a part where they show an MTV interview with no doubt right around the time that they were huge. And the interview said, interviewer says, can we talk about the ska thing real quick? Is there a revival happening or is it just a coincidence? And Gwen said, I think it's a coincidence. And, and Tom, the guitarist, said, I think that ska will remain underground. I don't know why, but I think the people who are into the traditional ska don't really like the commercial aspect or the commercial success part of it for some reason. They want to hold it back. We just play whatever music we feel like. So if we throw in a ska song here or there, it doesn't matter to us. And Gwen said, yeah, we have no limits. Um, and then later Tom for the actual documentary, uh, said as don't speak came out as like a huge pop hit, they would always say we were a ska band. And I felt like in our past we had been a ska band, but I don't think tragic kingdom is a ska album, but still that tag got attached to us. So I imagine there had been a feeling amongst 
amongst legitimate ska bands in the scene we came out of. Like, this is exciting, but no doubt it's not really a ska band anymore. Um, and so there's there, there are a lot of layers to this fact of, like, there was this huge feeling of, like, people taking ska and adjusting it and becoming really famous is a super sellout thing to do in that scene. And it has to be purist. And, yeah, th- there's definitely this feeling of, like, the ska bands who were who actually benefited from No Doubt's success, a lot of them were afraid of becoming too successful um, because there was this, like, street cred of what they did. There was this underground thing about what they did that they were kind of prescient to think, is this going to kill our scene? And it kind of did. Um, kind of did really quickly. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, I, from the outside looking in and just looking back, I mean, you, you can look at that and be like, I mean, that's that's suffocating. Why would why would you be so worried about gatekeeping and stuff like that? But that's just the way things were in scenes uh, in the 90s. Like, kind of any scene, there were the purists and, and stuff like that. Even in the documentary, the, uh, Real Big Fish, um, they had this kind of like 80s glam rock aspect to them too and they said that they'd go on tour and people who loved ska would show up and after the thing they'd be like what the fuck are you doing like this is not ska (laughs) and they were like well you know we're just playing our version um so even (laughs) even uh bands who i look at and i'd be like they were definitely ska there were people who loved two-tone ska who were like you need to stop. You are ruining what we love. (laughs) I don't think fans were looking to turn on it, but I would say that most of the people who were in that culture moved on pretty quickly. Um, Not a ton of people stayed with ska, uh, (laughs) hardcore into ska after 99. Hashtag stay with ska. <laughs> uh let's see here. So did you guys have anything you wanted to add about more about the uh the time? I mean, we could quickly list some things that came out this year. Um 95, yeah. Yeah, 1995. So Radiohead the Benz Mm. Bjork's Post, mm-hmm. um, Jizza's uh, Liquid Swords, What's the Story, Morning Glory from Oasis, Melancholy yeah. and the Infinite Sadness, Smashing Pumpkins, um, Tupac, Me Against the World, mm-hmm. uh, let's see, Green Day's Insomniac, D'Angelo's Brown Sugar, Mariah Carey, Daydream, ODB's Return to the 36 Chambers, Foo Fighters, Foo Fighters. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. One Hot Minute by Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, and the year in movies, um, 12 Monkeys, Dead Man Walking, Seven, which I remember us watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Usual Suspects, also remember seeing that with you. Yeah. Um, Nixon, Toy mm-hmm. Story, the original. Basketball Diaries, Apollo 13, Braveheart, Casino, 
Clueless. Which Damn. featured the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. It did. Oh, really? Oh, uh-huh. It nice. did, yep. yep. Bad Boys. Uh, <laughs> Will Smith. <laughs> uh, let's see. Billy Madison. Um, Stop looking at me, swan. <laughs> Desperado. Die Hard with a Vengeance. Uh, Outbreak. Uh, well, I never saw that one. Never saw Outbreak? No. It it features the same monkey that played Marcel on uh, Friends, I believe. Friends. Yeah. Oh, nice. He's an accomplished actor, that monkey. That that monkey uh, is a staple of the 90s. Yeah. Apparently. Oh, Get Shorty came out this year, too. John Travolta! Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> This... Oh man! Well, that was that was right after Pulp Fiction. That was uh, John Travolta cashing in on his Vincent Vega performance doing Get Shorty. So, yeah, um, I have a little bit of a Pitchfork thing. Pitchfork loved this album. Yeah, they gave it like a seven point three or something. Or am I thinking of last week? No, I think that's right. They're into throwing yeah, curveballs. Right. Every once right. in a while. Uh, Pitchfork definitely liked it more than the three of us, from what I can gather. Um, but one thing I did write down from the Pitchfork, Pitchfork write-up that I think is part of what you could talk about when talking about the phenomenon of this. 7.8, sorry. <laughs> Seven, oh, 7.8 Pitchfork gave it. Wow. Um, but one of the things they said was following the surge of third wave feminism in the early 90s, the mid 90s became the peak of the angry white female era in rock and pop. It was a time when feminized aggression from Hole and Riot Girl to Liz Fair and Alanis Morissette was suddenly perceived as being on trend, as if women haven't been furious forever. Um, and I thought that was interesting, and I definitely see how that, like the the whole thing of the of the songs being inspired by the breakup of Gwen and the bass player Tony. Um, everybody knew the story, and everybody kind of loved Gwen's anger <laughs> in Just a Girl and stuff like that. So I thought that was an interesting spin and an interesting part of uh of this yeah i i feel like overall she was probably my favorite part of listening to this but uh it just felt like it was an amalgam of a whole lot of things and not done very not performed very well i have been going back and forth on this album have you yeah because So the first time I listened to it, I went for a walk in the morning, Mm -hmm. and I remember coming back and being like, that was pretty good. Mm -hmm. And then I started listening to it a couple days later and was like, this is not good. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And then when I was listening to it the whole way through again today, I was like, I don't dislike the second half of this CD. Uh, 
I actually kind of like the second half of it, but the first half has a huge portion of songs that are like dreadful, I think. Cruft. <laughs> yeah, there is some serious cruft. I I listened to I, I watched a bunch of videos earlier in the week from mm-hmm. this album and interviews and live performances. I wouldn't um and and I felt it it gave me I didn't like it. I didn't like the music that much and it gave me sort of an unsettled feeling of I was texting you guys about it of just like that kind of weird nostalgia where I'm like, eh, this is, it just didn't sit right with me. And I didn't love the hmm. music. I actually thought that listening to it, like while driving or something was, I liked it more maybe because I wasn't paying close attention to it after yeah. listening to bungle so much last week and talking about it. I think the day we recorded, we decided to do this or maybe the next day or something. I remember shortly after I listened to like, um, I started listening to this and it felt like if you had been listening to a podcast at half speed or something, because there's so much stuff going on on like the bungle albums and stuff. And, uh, yeah, listening to this immediately after I was like, it's like when you're really good at something and you can like predict the next step or something, you know, it was just like, it felt like, you know, I was in, my ears were in really good shape and I was just like, this is so boring. There's so little stuff going on and just like vamping like a bar over and over again. And I was just like, ugh. Um, but then I got more, yeah. When I was like just driving to it or whatever, I was just like, oh yeah, there's like cool stuff here and i like singing along to it and that kind of thing i think it doesn't help that the performance is really bad particularly in the drums i don't mind the guitar player and i don't i somewhat like the bass Mm -hmm. but there's yeah yeah there's there's some some bad things going on there's a couple times that I feel like there's bungle vibes. Um, and there are parts of it that mm-hmm. like they they try to do kind of like shifts in one or two songs between different things that I was like, if bungle covered this, it would maybe be kind of cool. Um, but it, it, there's certainly a carnivalish recurring carnival type theme that comes up especially um, in the the eponymous and the namesake yeah song. yeah mm-hmm. yeah well i was telling joe um that my feelings about this <laughs> uh album ha- go up and down it hasn't been consistent yeah. throughout i've been like uh the second half of the album i definitely like more than the first half apart from the uh the singles on the first half but i was like once you get through those first couple singles then it's like really bad for a while <laughs> we should jump in yeah let's take a listen this is the first track spiderwebs with its very ska reggae intro
What do you think, Matt? I mean the 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 hook's catchy. Uh-huh. Does it feel um like the bass and drums are not very tight? It's simple, very straightforward, but if it were and it but it feels like a little bit looser than it should. I don't know. I mean it, uh... I just really don't like the drumming on this album. I, don't, I feel like he didn't listen to the bass player uh-huh. at all. Um, uh, yeah, it feels like they're playing just completely different things. Mm-hmm. Um, they just didn't want to agree on how to play this song or something. Um, I feel like the the bass was really up front. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, like kind of competing with the vocals which feels weird mm-hmm. um especially in the in the verse but very busy he's a very busy bass player which i don't which, mind sometimes but it just felt like it was it felt like it was distracting from from the vocals and wasn't really adding i feel like it's more the mix than the part really yeah that yeah that could be it could be the mix because I was really, it was really upfront. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of this song, Kiz? I like this one. I, I kind of when I think of this album, this is one of the first ones I tend to think about because it's, it's the one that stands out to me. It's like, oh, that's the one that kind of with the ska element that I remembered. And I just, I, I've always really liked this one. I enjoy, and it might be cheesy. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I liked I like the pinch harmonics that the guitarist uses on this song. I think they just sound so cool. Um, I I think I I think they could be. Uh, like I was I was noting that when we were just listening to it that like oh that's kind of interesting like bringing a little hair eighties metal vibe to it and. But it just seems like all three—the vocals, the bass line, the guitar—were just kind of doing their own thing, and then the drums were just, you know, doing something, <laughs> and just yeah. like they weren't really agreeing on what they were playing, and yeah. kind of all competing for attention in a way that it just didn't feel like they were sitting in the pocket and um, didn't feel like structurally cohesive until the hook, and then the hook comes in, and it's like, okay, this is a song now. Um, yeah, the uh, guitarist was a metal was in like a metal band before joining, and sometimes that creates an interesting juxtaposition or blending. And then sometimes it's like, what? <laughs> Why are you yeah. playing like that? Yeah. Did you watch the behind the music? I'm sure I did. I'm sure I did back in the day, but I ha- I haven't watched it on like YouTube or anything. Uh, I watched I watched it like last night, and they they said that when he joined, he was a metal guy and he had long hair, and mm. um, that he kind of had to learn the ska style. And I had written that down that he was a metal guitar player, and and mm-hmm. that pinch harmonics is very much a metal way of playing. And was the drummer just hired prior to this record or? No, I don't think so. He had been there for a few years. 
in the behind the music it was funny i knew that you had uh criticized the drumming and when i was watching it they uh, he told them that he had been playing for eight years when he had only been playing for a year and a half (laughs) (laughs) yeah gotta bloat that resume uh no, no judgment there but um but then practice um yeah I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like this may be this may be a through line for me, but this album feels like why didn't they fire all the musicians and hire <laughs> new ones to support this the like solid singing? I don't know. Well, <laughs> I think maybe she realized that at some point too. Yeah. yeah. Um I didn't write down all the additional musicians but a lot of them probably were on that song because there was a lot of horns um listed on the additional musicians also cello steel drum and a completely unnecessary sitar but we'll get to that one oh yeah we, we gotta cross. talk about yeah, the yeah, sitar. Yeah. no we definitely <laughs> so i'll caveat i don't i don't know i haven't listened enough of his drumming to know whether or not he's good or bad. It just, it sounds like this record to me sounds like they just had someone come in and lay down drums and they didn't listen to the song, even when they were playing along to it. It's just like, that's the impression that I, the impression, the impression that, that I get. Have you ever went as a tragedy? <laughs> I'm not going to say this drummer's bad, but everything he plays sounds terrible with the music. So, <laughs> is, that what, is that what I'm saying? Is that are you paraphrasing me? I haven't yeah, listened to enough terrible. of his drumming, but it's just well, I just I don't want to I don't want to be I just don't want to overgeneralize. I'm just yeah, saying, you don't on this record, yeah. I really don't like the drumming. I you don't want to make yeah. it like personal about him as a drummer, but just yeah, like you don't really yeah, like the personal. playing. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Well, excuse me, mister. Segway, segway. I have a question. Would you consider yes, this a... <laughs> <laughs> Would you consider this a ska song? This feels more punk to me than ska. Definitely feels like a punk punky song. Okay. Um I'm trying to think I, I I'm not a big fan of this one. It's so frantic and mm-hmm. I just have never been a big fan of this one. And I also don't remember this song so much like this week i was like oh i don't remember this song um i don't i don't remember it as a single 
but it was apparently which it was yeah, yeah. but um <clears throat> there are seven seven singles on this uh, really whoa seven singles did they did they all were they all whoa. <laughs> <laughs> did they all like hit the charts i don't know i'd have to look individually at each of them um but i think the only number 1 single was don't speak was the only one that hit number 1 uh we I, we could i could say it when they when they come around but um it looks like when i, when I come, come around, around. <laughs> did you have to do that <laughs> um <laughs> no doubt no doubt so just a girl it says was peaked at 23 on the hot 100 um I bet that would have been higher if it hadn't been the first single. I'm pretty sure that was the first single. If that had been the single that followed yeah. Don't Speak, yeah. it probably would have gotten way higher. Yeah. 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 Um, and that feels almost like the one I hear the most out in the world now. Just Why don't I just wait now. until we play them, but I'll say the first two, um, the first two tracks, which were singles. Um, uh Excuse me, Mr. Reach, number 17 on the Billboard Modern Rock chart, which is, um, you know, I don't know if it charted on the Hot 100, in other words. So it was 17 on the rock charts. Um, and then Spider Webs was number five on the Modern Rock charts and number 11 on the Billboard Top 40. Yeah, I remember it. I remember Spider Webs being. Mm-hmm. I would like to go to the part at 135 and have a throwdown about the middle of this song. Oh, yeah, I know what this is. Because this is the only part of the song that I enjoy. <laughs> I like the horn parts. Yeah, I think this is. I would summarize this as the drummer ruined, ruined that thing. Do you think he's so. trying to sound like a locomotive? I maybe. I guess because because if the you lyric? watch, yeah, if you, I wouldn't have noticed that until I watched the video, and it, all of a sudden it becomes like she's tied to the railroad track. She says something about being tied to the tracks, and there's a train coming. I don't know. I don't listen to the drums there. I listen to the cool stride, like uh, ragtime piano and the trombone and stuff. I just, I just think that part's really cool, and and it's the only part that kind of lets up from the assault that is this song. <laughs> yeah, I I want I want to like that part, but it just I feel like the percussion kind of just stands out like a sore thumb and kind of ruins the vibe. Well, I'm glad to know that's the part of it you, that you that you take issue with because uh, I was listening to it and I was like, I knew that you said you didn't you had feelings about that part and I was like, I, I love this part. I I can't see anything wrong with it other than I, I can see what you're saying with the drums. I think it's just like the like there needs to be a little bit of like the phrasing needs to be done differently in order to in, in order to sit in and it might also just be the mix too. Like I don't want to necessarily 
blame it 100% on the performance, but it's like you've got all this like, you know, the piano part, I almost completely don't even hear it because the drums are just like yeah. in your face. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. If they had just like pulled them way back in the mix, maybe I wouldn't have as much of an issue with it. But um, But also just the phrasing that he's doing is like just not right. You could almost pull the drums out and really enjoy how rhythmic the piano playing is there. Cause I kind of wish they did, yeah. like They could have just pulled the drums out. I wish I could hear the piano way more than I can. But when I do hear it, I'm like, oh, it's so cool. <laughs> that, <laughs> that song, uh, song uh, also kind of has a... It reminds me of earlier No Doubt stuff. I don't know if you like it the way they um, break into that. They like change genres completely, and and that kind of has a. Uh, it's reminiscent to stuff that's on their earlier albums. Did you guys watch the Stuck in a Box video? I think so. Yeah, their, their first music. Yeah, video. yeah, yeah. So I went back and I listened a little bit to the first record and I watched the Stuck in a Box video. And you would think I would like that because I like Ska. But I just don't know that I love No Doubt. I'll be honest. I just yeah. When I watched that Stuck in a Box video, I was like, this they have such a weird style that I don't <laughs> I don't necessarily love. And this song sort of falls in that style. You're right. And and I just not big fan of it. I find I found it um annoying yeah to watch and listen to that song in the video. Yeah. I wonder who wrote that song. Can you see who wrote it? Where with what you're looking at? Was it Eric? Eric used to write like all the music. Yeah. Um who wrote um excuse me mister? Mm-hmm. It says um Gwen Stefani and Tom Dumont are the are okay. credited to. Yeah. Okay. So Eric is off the hook. All right. So we got um, a swing and a miss with Excuse Me, Mister. Yeah. Well, this next one's going to bring it. All right. This is just a girl. I will say this. I love this song. Yeah. This is where like it, it feels like the whole thing just kind of comes together and does the right thing and mm-hmm. the guitar or synth is it a guitar or synth the uh It's a combo. Are you talking about the Yeah. I love the way those things work together that they create almost like this talk box sound effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the riff is awesome. I love the riff. It's the cool. Like, I'm a riff guy, and that just, woo, I love that. 
I love that. Yeah. And the bass and this is the, I feel like this is the only time the bass and the drums feel like they're playing the same song. Um, I think the keyboards really are cool in this one. The, when, when you start hearing the boo, Oh yeah. Um, because the, the guitar, once you get to the chorus, if you if you just stop and listen to the guitar, it's not that cool. It's just playing the three chords uh, over and over again, and it, it doesn't sound that cool anymore. But then when they bring the riff back in, um, but I think the uh, keyboard kind of saves saves it later. It, it's um, it, it really is an excellent song. This peaked at number twenty three on the Hot One Hundred. I may have already said that, but. 23 on the hot 100 so i feel like this is one this one is almost more iconic now yeah i think so i might be wrong about that but this one seems to be the one that like don't speak doesn't feel as iconic now as uh this one does to me i think that's right um but i think it was pretty huge at the time especially because it was their first the first single and then don't speak kind of eclipsed it for a time. This is a really interesting line. That's cool. And the bass goes like goes up the scale. My three-year-old took a liking to this song this week while I was listening to it, and he's been requesting it in the car. Oh, nice. Which, it's yeah. cool. I mean, and the way the lyrics are like, am I making myself clear? And they kind of like back off for mm-hmm. the myself clear bit. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a well-constructed song, well-performed. Mm-hmm. It's got some interesting stuff going in there. Yeah. The the feminist message is still super fun. And yeah, this song totally holds up. Yeah. I would say this is, a, I think for me, the only song I would come to for this. I think I'd drop everything else. I was, I was going to say this one's my favorite song, hands down. But there's another one that when I was today listening to it, I was like, I really like this one too. So uh, when I when we get to the other one, I'll, I'll bring it up too. Yeah, there's a few on here. <laughs> it's Sunday morning. Oh come on! No, I like what I like that one a lot too. That was gonna be my other one that I like. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like this one. Whenever I hear it, I'm excited. Like out in the world, which happens a lot. I feel like I just heard this song out in the world at uh, a baseball game. Like maybe like I've seen people do it at karaoke or Mm. something like this is a good karaoke song. Yeah. Karaoke. Uh Karaoke had a rough, rough patch, small room with lots of people heavily breathing on each other. Yeah. Loudly singing. Pandemic was bad for karaoke. (laughs) It's a bummer. But it's over now, everybody. 
Yes, totally. We beat over. it. We <laughs> beat it, you guys. That's what we should I'm, tell our listeners. <laughs> right. Are you happy now? I hate this one. <laughs> I hate this one so much. <laughs> I actually don't mind it, but again, yeah. it's the drumming. Like, I feel like the mm. guitar line is kind of neat. The bass is kind of cool. The vocal, the uh, like, the way they did the backing vocals is really cool. But then mm. the drumming is just like, what why, are you doing? Why do you it hate just, it? I just think everything about it's not working for me um the the delivery of the like <laughs> uh, and the are you happy like i'm not happy <laughs> <laughs> i think the backing vocals are very um uh obvious kind of like what they did that what they did with them it, it just i was like eh, you could have been a little bit more creative there um i think it otherwise is just kind of meh it's a, it seems like that's exactly the word I wrote on my notes. Meh. Meh. It's a filler track yeah. to me. The intro and the recurring that recurring intro part reminds me of all the young dudes by Mott the Hoople. Mm. Classic. Bing, 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 bing. Yeah, I can see that. Sort of a different different kind of vibe, but yeah 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 i mean a lot of this record felt like filler for just a girl who don't speak you're trying to differentiate between the okay filler and the bad filler and for this for you this is an okay (laughs) okay filler filler. yeah this was like i don't know coming out of just a girl was like okay this is fine so I mean I would yeah I don't know if I wasn't actively listening I don't think I would hate this song. no I think I'd be like meh but when I'm actively listening it is like really not working for me this song yeah this is good for the driving not listening that closely kind of song I will say um, I will add if you didn't mention it Brandon this was a single which is kind of surprising. Um, but it failed to chart in any way. I, I don't remember it being good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember a video or anything for it. So I was kind of surprised no. to see it was a single. Even yeah. as um, a kid, when I listened to this album, I could differentiate like in my head between like, these are the good songs and these are the filler songs. Cause I remember thinking there was a very distinct kind of classification or stratification that happened. 
Yeah. So you want to play some more filler songs? <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> This feels very ska to me. I don't know if that's... Ska, ska, ska! Pick it up, pick it up, pick it up! Maybe a hot take here. I think Gwen is my least favorite part of the song. I kind of like musically what's happening. And Gwen, her voice and her lyrics are ruining the song for me. I just think the lyrics are a little bit overly cheesy. Uh, yeah. And her vocal shtick sounds good sometimes and not others. And on this one, I, I don't like it. Don't like it one bit. I would agree that it doesn't work as much on this one. I also just don't like the tune of this one. Yeah. I don't like I don't know the beginning, like why was there so much wah pedal? (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a question ninety percent of the time there's wah pedal at all. Why was why is there so much wah pedal? I wrote that the bass line's pretty dope. Yeah, I like it. I like the intro part and the bass. Yeah, I like the music generally. I like the I like the attempt to bring in the organ. That was kind of neat. It made it feel like a little bit different orchestration. But. I have um, some spots I wanted to listen to in this one. Um, two thirty, and mm. then through maybe like 310 or something like a big chunk of this there's a number of different parts I kind of just like what the bass is doing in this part alright I mean, why did they put a guitar solo in there? <laughs> they do it a few times. That one, uh, I, I honestly feel like the it gives the bass some time to do some cool stuff under the guitar solo that I liked. Um, no, I mean, it was a good spot for a solo. It's just missed opportunity. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Not the strongest uh, guitar solo. I kind of like that Scott interlude there before that. I don't know. This one is certainly filler, but if you're talking happy now versus different people, I'll take different people. Mm. It's just the words are feel a little bit like they were written as a junior high. Like I, Ted. I'll take some different people playing drums in this band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Um, I mean, that part we listened to is just like they weren't really pl- 
playing along with the it yeah it's just a running thing here it just feels like missed opportunities to play along with the what everyone else is doing this is uh the first song on the album that's not a single that wasn't released as a single wow so number five wow wow I just wish that that one had more sitar. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it was missing. (laughs) Swap the wah pedal for a sitar and it would have been, that thing would have been. It needs at least three really ham-fisted Beatles quotes in it. (laughs) Which, yeah. uh, This next one is just like, oh. Just the most unnecessary sitar in the world. It's Rubber Soul. Yeah. Also a single. It does sound like they're kind of going for a Beatles vibe, Beatles vibe, even in the guitar part. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of Beatles stuff I noted in this song. Um, you want to play the? Uh, there's a solo in here too. On the topic of the Baroque style clavichord, yeah, style. exactly. That's the ripping. Uh, another. It's at one fifty four. One fifty four, Matthew. <laughs> Could you? Yeah. I'm pumped. Oh my god. <laughs> like Is it even a harpsichord? I mean, it sounds uh, maybe it's just the way maybe maybe it's just how they recorded it, but it almost sounded like an electronic shitty sample Casio of a harpsichord. Well, it yeah. probably is. Yeah. It probably is. I was very surprised to see that the sitar was real when I looked at the liner notes, I was like, I can't believe that's not just like a lifted sample or something. Yeah. They brought someone in (laughs) to play that. Yeah. Um, So, so they were just trying to rip the Beatles. There's one other that we don't have to listen to it, but there's a, I think in the next verse, there's like a Mellotron part. That's obviously like a strawberry fields, Mellotron uh, sound. They definitely have a Mellotron sound in the next one because I wrote in the next one Beatles-ish part. Oh, okay. Um, Maybe it's in that. They might have just blended together. They may have. I, I thought that because I was like, wow, there's like at least three things in this song that, that are. Yeah. But yeah, it could be. I find this one to be a little bit charming. The whole like, let's try to uh, 
<laughs> like I I don't hate the the sound of the music. I I mean I love the Beatles. It actually reminds me of Oasis. Did they like the Beatles? Are you for real? <laughs> no, I'm, of course I'm kidding. Yes, that's a famous. <laughs> I didn't know how familiar you were with Oasis. I wasn't yeah. sure. Yes. <laughs> um, so, but there's something about hearing the Beatles approximated in 1995 on No Doubt that makes me think, oh, this sounds like Oasis. Uh, because yeah. they were doing the same exact thing. Um, so, yeah, I don't hate this one, but this is in the portion of the album that I'm like, this whole this is all terrible. <laughs> uh, Honestly, I didn't even, the first time listening to it, I didn't put together the Beatles reference. I just felt cringy for, like, the appropriation. Um, it just, like, the sitar bit just feels really... It felt yeah. really weird. Um, I don't know. This song to me just feels so cringy. Because it's used so sparingly, it feels like, why, why'd you do it? Um, yeah, it feels a little Madonna with a bindi. Well, she well, wore Gwen bindi. Gwen rocked it too. Yeah. Did she? I don't know. Oh. Yeah, yeah, in the Just a Girl video, she's... Prominently that was a bindi. big part of her look in uh, this time period. Yeah, the thing with the sitar is like, um, it feels as though they were just, maybe they constructed the song and they were like, well, there's all these like kind of beatly sounds in it and we want to just add some little two seconds in the beginning and end. So let's just have somebody around on a sitar they should have axed this song from the record um yeah it definitely could have been a b-side and no one would have cared or just buried and never <laughs> released ever well in maybe in no doubt's defense i don't know how this came about but i could totally see an engineer being like oh this has totally got a beatles thing you know i know a guy with a sitar and bring them in. I could see that being the origin. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we don't love this song. Hey, this song is a masterpiece compared to the next song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're we're not the three of us aren't really in a position to really have the talk about the appropriation no. bit and how it was perceived and how it should be, but. but um, but it does it just feels really bad. If you're interested, there's plenty of people that are more qualified to talk about it that have written about it. And a simple Google search will yield those results. All right. Let's keep let's keep going. Let's go to the climb. Is this your favorite song? Yeah. <laughs> But it's a bit different. Got a little swing to it. This is uh, uh, Eric Stefani is credited as the sole songwriter. That guitar line felt a little Beatlesy. And here the, the 
Mellotron ish. Oh, yeah, yeah. My brain is now broken and I'm hearing Beatles stuff that that was very Abbey Road, the arpeggiated, yeah, distorted uh, guitar part. Yeah. Can't unhear it now. What do you guys think of this one? It's meh. Yeah, I'd say it's a meh. I actually think after the first three minutes, they do some interesting stuff with this one. Can we at three oh nine? They there's like a carnivalish part. Again, an interesting part that was ruined by the drums. <laughs> it felt like it had some polka vibe. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they, they, it's fine. Like it just, it's, it, everything holds together, but it just feels like with a lot of scotch tape. That song's real long. And I remember listening to it sort of half listening and getting bored. And then being like, oh, there's interesting things happening in the middle and end of this one. Speaking of being 16. (laughs) This reminds me of something else. What is it? Do you guys know? That like distorted bass part. It's something else. Um, I don't know, maybe like something from a Blur song or Bush or something? Yeah, something like that, I don't know. I don't mind this song. No, this is where it starts to turn for me. I don't hate this one. I mean, the the lyrics feel very campy, which is fine. I think it's like the, I want to like that distorted bass line, mm-hmm. but nothing else in the song is supporting it sonically, and so it just sticks out like a sore thumb. And recording the count in mm-hmm. is like a thing you do when you just like when it's going to be a real raucous song. And then it just, <laughs> it's like, I don't know. It just, it feels something about it just feels off. And I just, it doesn't sit right with me. I, I don't think the things hanging together super well, like the, 
the intro being kind of punkish and then it goes into the like super ska yeah. and like um i kind of like verse two there's like a trombone soloing along i don't know we get <laughs> it's like we do hey we do uh hey you and then the climb and like i'm so disgusted by those two songs <laughs> and then this comes in and i just like i'm done i'm just <laughs> absolutely done well this is this is the problem with this record as i saw it which was i both times i listened to this song kind of like the album like the whole way through when i got to the end i was like that's pretty good but it's because the first half if you just start listening to it and just listen to the first like eight songs it's like good grief but starting here through the rest of them i, I kind of like the rest of the songs enough um, <laughs> the problem with this album is half the songs are bad <laughs> <laughs> pretty much pretty much and where they fall in the uh the lineup of the album just makes it really difficult to get through this yeah. point um i was saying i was thinking we could go from the end because it goes right into sunday morning oh and it kind of gets really like you're on his accident like it gets real big at the end and that part i kind of liked I will say this is where the drumming is fine because he he can do this sort of punk stuff. That feels like Nirvana is gonna. Play. Yeah. Did you guys hear yeah, that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't mind that bass line. I, yeah. It's kind of catchy. Yeah, I like this. This song is one of the better ones. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. This one feels we're coming up from the low point. I like the halftime feel there. Trying to get Matt to say something nice. I was gonna not say something <laughs> nice. I, I mean, they're like they're doing a kind of a little bit of a reggae thing. Yeah, and to just have the drums with the like punching, you know, quarter note bass, um, just felt like a again like another missed opportunity to do something interesting and maybe quote some reggae feel or a little bit you don't have to do it i don't think it needed to do it like a full reggae beat but it could have done like a little bit around that instead of just like i feel like that bass drum just like punching you in the face like everything else sonically was kind of interesting but Mm -hmm. i definitely want to play the chorus of this one because the chorus is pretty good See, this part feels cool. 
Like, there the drums feel appropriate the way they're doing that. I like this too. Oh, well. I enjoy this one. I always thought this was was one of the highlights of the album when I was younger, and I still think it's pretty pretty catchy. There's some cool stuff in it. I like this song. Yeah. No, I, I wasn't, my sighing wasn't for that. I actually think, like, of the back half of the album, this song is, is okay. Yeah. But I would say I wouldn't mind hearing a remix of this album, like, rip all you know get the the stems and just rip the drums out and redo them i would be interested in hearing that do it let's get our legion of fans to do that someone do a sunday morning remix i think it'd be a really fun thing to say think about what album you would want to go back in time (laughs) and replace somebody on your instrument the idea being something that would be good, that would be much better, much improved, by replacing just one member. Right. I I would like to go back in time and put Dave Matthews' band, Dave Matthews as the leader of Bon Jovi. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That'd be strange. <laughs> all right um i i did have a spot in this i don't remember if it was that cool but i i was trying to write spots there's a change there's a change in this which is probably what you're gonna drop the pin on I think it was those accents, those little little kind of hits mm-hmm. that I thought was that was kind of cool. I don't love that section that we just didn't do, but the little like uh, accents were kind of cool. Yeah, she also kind of does a little bit of a Anthony Kiedis. I'm not sure if I love. I like sometimes I like her vocal affectations, but I'm not sure if I really like it on that that part. Same. Shh! Don't speak. Is this dream on? Oh, oh snap. <laughs> oh, man. Wow, I can't unhear that now. Yeah. You guys never thought of that before? No. I don't know that I know. Just because this song is, I'm so familiar with it. Wow. Well done. Blew my mind there, Joe.
I feel like that one's a karaoke standard too. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, it's a good song. I mean, that is a classic of the '90s. At one fifty-five, there's a key change. That's kind of a cool chords. There's kind of interesting cool chords that get played before the guitar solo. Ooh, I like it. What do you think of the classical guitar solo? (laughs) Sonically, I like the choice of classical guitar there. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's not that interesting of a part. Yeah. But I like, I like the... I like the timbre and like kind of coming out of that big bridge. It felt felt like a nice little drink of water. Did th- does that remind you guys of like Santana? It reminded me of Santana. I-, I can't place what song it was, but I can see it definitely. Let me see where its chart position was. I'm just real s- was it number one? This is their first number okay, one it was hit. Number one. Okay. Way to go. Way to go. You can do it. I think we said this earlier, but I I feel like Just a Girl is a stronger tune, but I, this is a close second. It was number one for 16 consecutive weeks. Hachi Machi. I forgot to mention this album went diamond and sold like 16 million records. That's a lot. That's a lot. This is a lot. Hmm. Hey guys, you can do it. Little Motown Jackson 5. Feel. What is going on with that guitar, though? <laughs> Somebody just tell him to stop. <laughs> just... But it's it's kind of similar to the drum thing, where it's like they're quoting a different genre, but the guitarist doesn't have the language to to effectively do that so it just ends up being weird it has a strong opening at least in terms of like creating a sense of this being a little bit soul motownish and then and then going into like a disco feel but someone needed to just turn the guitar off um mm. to me it's like uh i don't like someone doing an Elaine dance, right? Like it's just so, uh, it's so obviously out of place. Um, <laughs> I like the song. Oh, shit. Specifically, I love the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, the guitar doesn't, doesn't stick out to me that, as it must you. But I, I, I think this is, this is a very fun song. And I really like the Barry Sachs in it and i think there's a splooge worthy moment in this song you guys <laughs> stop 
say I like that that's become a thing. I, want to, I like want people to listen to this and I I can't like my I'm sorry, Jennifer. <laughs> Mom, I apologize. <laughs> Can we hear the part? It's it's the key change. I like the envelope filter type. Uh, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Muted trumpet solo. All right, here we go. This part really does uh, make me get excited here. I like Gwen going, ah, yeah, right after it. It just like puts it over the top to me like, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> no, cool like listening to it, I... I agree with you. I think it's really fun to listen to. I think her performance is really good. Love that trumpet moment. Love this, um, the synthesizer. But underneath yeah. all of it is waka chika waka chika waka chika waka chika. And I'm like, can you please stop? Please, somebody yeah. turn him off. <laughs> what is going on? Oh yeah, my that's god! Fair. But on the record, this one stands out as like one of the coolest songs. Like, just just flat out, kind of a cool song. Whereas the rest of them all have a little bit of a weirdness to them. <laughs> um, I like this one. It's, it's distinct it's, from the other songs. Yeah. It's also pretty funky, you guys. <laughs> yeah. We should analyze the funk. Funk analysis. Yeah. Welcome back to our funk analysis segment. For no doubt, <laughs> you can do it. So, guys, funky. What do you think about this song? A little bit. I think it's got a little more disco vibe than funk, but yeah, that's what I was gonna say. True. I'm sorry to steal your thunder, Joe. No, 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 no. It's okay. It's 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 good. Um, yeah, it doesn't feel like funk in the genre sense, but it's it's got uh. It's definitely got some funky vibes. You guys are drawing some pretty distinct lines between disco and funk that, I mean, they're very similar. But, but I hear that bass line that, you know, like, that's not funky to me. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> keep going. Like. Oh, that's not funky. And the open hi-hats and stuff. It feels like, very disco. The horns feel very funky. I think that that, that like, pulsing kind of baseline is not funky to me. I feel mm-hmm. like uh I mean it's you could say it's got a cool vibe or whatever like got a f- but like genre wise it doesn't sound like sly or parliament or the meters or something, you know. When I think funk though, I tend to lump in like earth wind and fire and it sounds like earth wind and fire. Um but maybe 
I shouldn't do that, but I, I kind of, when I think of the funk bands, I like, I tend to think Earth, Wind and Fire put it, put them in that conversation. And, but they're obviously a disco funky. Yeah. I think, um, I don't know all the, I don't know if drawing clear lines is, or, you know, is necessary, but I would just yeah, say, we don't need to be gatekeeping. Yeah. I would just say when I hear parts of the song, I'm like, Oh, that's funky. But the baseline, the way it kind of kicks in feels more like a disco dancey kind of vibe than, than like what I would think of as like uh funk, but that doesn't mean it's yeah. not funky at so all. So is this, so is this a disco analysis? <laughs> is that what you're saying? <laughs> Could be. Do we think they're kind of funky? Kind of funkin'? It definitely has a little bit of funkiness to it. Even the opening to me feels more, like I said that before, it feels like off of Jackson 5. Maybe. Yeah. Almost like they need to watch it because they're funkin' out of bounds. Yeah. <laughs> this song is funkin' out of bounds. It's definitely funkin' out of bounds. <laughs> well that was another episode of <laughs> funk analysis the funk analysis watch it baby you're funking out of bounds funk analysis alright this sounds this- like a sister hazel song for like 7 yeah. seconds and then it goes into a dub yeah. Like the the intro is so weird to me that that's how they introed it. Yeah, I have to say I'm definitely less offended by the drumming on this second half of the record. It definitely improves. The yeah. album gets way better. Kind of like the dub feel. The melody of the chorus is pretty cool. Yeah. I, I think there's a, a hits conversation that could be possibly had, at least according to my notes. At 2.13. That sounds familiar to me. That's kind of cool. Like, they're changing it up just enough. And when they do do that... Like, that's pretty satisfying. I like those hits. What do you think, Matt? You're the hits aficionado. Oh, they feel fine in this. <laughs> and I kind of I kind of like the trumpet squeal. It's kind of a nice yeah. little touch. Uh, it gives it, I don't know, it gives the, for what honestly has felt like a pretty shapeless album, it gives it a little, makes it feel like it has some shape. Agreed. I, I can't believe when i listen to it again like the last couple songs are so much better than the first half of the album like apart from just a girl and spider webs it's like even these ones that feel like filler this song feels like filler but there's just 
cooler things happening within it and it just feels better than the other songs i don't know why but this song makes me think of uh musical youth past the duchy Uh yeah Yeah, i can see that something about the way the vocals are sung maybe they could have reshuffled the filler songs a little better or taken like four songs off yeah how many songs are on this album (laughs) 14. Yeah. How about a 10 song album? It's 60 minutes long. Yeah. It doesn't need to be 60 minutes long. And they had another album come out in 1995. Yeah. Uh, which is a little bit crazy to me that they had 14 songs after they had already released another compilation of music yeah. earlier in the year. Yeah, they could have dropped at least five songs from this record. I do think, I think we've talked about this before, but I think um, the 90s and the early 2000s, having a nine-song album was not something that people did. You could you could get away with 10. I think the Weezer, the Weezer album, the, the Blue album, and Pinkerton, I think both were 10-song albums. Was there, like, what was the... I honestly don't know why that was the case. Like the sort of 12 to 14 tracks on an album is like, that's what you do. I wonder if it was because they wanted people to feel like they're getting a a big album for their money because you could buy the singles, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. (laughs) ka-singles, or you could get the whole album and if it's like, Oh, there's 14 songs on here. That's, that's a good amount of songs for my money. Um, and that it doesn't feel that way anymore because people aren't buying albums the way they used to. And they're not consuming things the way they used to. I think it might've even been like a marketing thing of let's put as many songs on there. as that makes it attractive for people to buy it. But we should finish it. We should finish it. Let's, let's end it on this. I like this one too But I'm livid that there's a song called Ended on This and it's the second to last track Yeah, it's irritating That makes me so mad That's the part I like. like. That major minor bit. Yeah. It's interesting. I feel like, though, I wish this song were then earlier in the album because they do a lot of this feel, like the punching drums with the sort of punky yeah. guitar. I think this yeah. is the best version of it mm. on the album of the, of the not... Uh, two major hits but to put it at the end it's like we've already heard this a bunch i wish that they had done this one earlier because it's it's a better representation but also it should be the last track because it's called ended on this and it's so stupid that they 
<laughs> didn't put it last. I think I feel like I maybe I would be curious to know what the discussion on the track listing was because I think Tragic Kingdom is last for obvious reasons. It is. It is. When I listened to the whole way through Tragic Kingdom, I was like, okay, I understand why this has to be last, but uh, it still makes me mad that there's a song called Ended on This, and it's not the last song. <laughs> and that's the stupid thing to say, actually. I know it's stupid, but... Well, no, I, I was actually going to say, well, what you said is true, but my take on it would be that I actually think Tragic Kingdom's probably the more is one of the most interesting songs on here and probably shouldn't have been last. But I feel like because it's the most interesting, it's not the most poppy and therefore it gets kicked to the last slot. Mm-hmm. I think it might be last because of how it ends. Uh, but um, Joe, what do you think of this? One? I think it's, it's kind of not that noteworthy. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, the intro uh, is pretty boring. I do like the part that you guys noted as as being interesting. But overall, it's not uh, that noteworthy of a track to me. Yeah. I wrote down, I love the piano arpeggio part in the chorus contrasted with the syncopated guitar stabs. And the bass is doing its own rhythmic thing, too. Uh, I really like that part of the song. And it reminded me of something that you'd hear, like, kind of proggy, like that you'd hear on a Yes or Kansas album or something. I'm not sure I'd make the comparison to Yes, but that might just be because I like Yes. (laughs) I don't really like No Doubt that much. But, But I see what you're saying. Yeah, well, I, I think it's kind of an atypical, like, when you hear that chorus, it's not like, oh, this is a your run-of-the-mill, no doubt, chorus. It's kind of an interesting, interesting uh, musical things going on underneath the chorus, but... I like that piano, the... That was cool. Yeah. I mean, this riff is a little tired. Mm -hmm. Joe's absolutely right with this one not standing out. Um, But contrasted with some of the other filler songs, it's pleasant. It's, it's, It's not something I dislike actively like some of the other songs. If you asked me some of the songs that, even the ones that I don't really like very much, if you said... Mm hmm uh how does the song go i could probably um tell you the hook to like happy now or um excuse me mr uh or hey you but if this one i wouldn't i'd be like i don't know what that song is right well partially because of where it is on the track list too i think that that's a big part of that probably yeah all right, one more song. Sliding into home. Tragic Kingdom. I didn't realize that this was a a, pl- a play on Magic Kingdom because they live in Anaheim, which is where Disneyland is. Yeah, I didn't know that. Remain 
Probably the most interesting tune on here, I feel like. It's a little bungly. Yeah. It's not, like, my favorite to listen to, but I definitely can see it being, like, it's interesting. And uh, there are a few different things they do. There's also a line that says, decoyed by old cheese. Hmm. And I don't know what the context was but i wrote decoyed by old cheese if you wanted to get my attention away from something else give me cheese <laughs> lure me away with cheese it would work so <laughs> I, this, I get is it this cheese a decoy <laughs> yeah i mean is that like a maybe it's a if they are going for magic kingdom this is that like a mickey mouse like mickey mouse, mouse trap put some cheese in a mouse trap that uh, could be. Mm. That's cool. Very bungly. Very sinister. Yeah. Feels like a sinister amusement park. Yeah. It's cool. I feel like the vocal line feels maybe it's just the lyrics that are weird. Um but the vocal line feels like it's a little bit out of place. Mhm. Um cuz like I don't know, I like that one part where like uh Welcome to the Tragic Kingdom is really cool and then the start of like Cornfields of Popcorn the way she sings it is really cool. But then something about the rest of the line makes it feel kind of hokey. And I think this one like ends really like a cacophony of sound at the end. Uh... Oh, tempo modulation. This is why it's the last song. (laughs) The Star Wars theme being teased there is so lame. It's like, (laughs) this is what happens when you let the the horn players run amok (laughs) at the end. I'm just going to play Star Wars. (laughs) It would have made more sense now when Star Wars is owned by Disney, but this was way yeah. before that. <laughs> yeah. We did it, guys. We got through it. We could do it. Well, when you get to the end and, and after that run of like five or six songs at the end, it's like, eh, it's not terrible, but oof, halfway, it's like, how am I going to do this? It's like when you run a marathon and you're like, 
you get to that point halfway through. I don't even know where I'm going with this. I don't run marathons. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's not surprising that it's not as good as it was when that I thought it was when I was 12. Yeah. I'd say this lands in the so-so category. Yeah, that's true. This might be the first album that we're firmly so-so <laughs> instead of cool, huh? Yeah, and luckily the members of the band never went on to really continue to be popular <laughs> or anything uh, or be in the public consciousness. Well, Gwen certainly shifted into better suited things, I think, later. I, I always appreciate that she had this background and that even she brought that sort of with her to her solo stuff like sort of punky uh vibe it's just no doubt might not be the most interesting of projects even though it was the one that skyrocketed her skyrocketed her to fame i honestly have very little of a sense of what her output has been like other than a couple of the songs that really became super popular like in the last 20 years. But, um, but that's it. I remember having a pretty strong dislike for that song. Sweet escape. How's that go? You guys have to write that. This Uh was like, Hearing, hearing it makes me feel like the song's not bad. I just heard it a freaking bajillion times when it was on the radio, and I grew to dislike that. Mm, I like that song. I don't mind that song. It's got, it's got some cool things. Well, the album was pretty meh. Well, the album was meh. Yeah. A nah. little bit disappointing that that was that that's such a seminal album of the '90s, but what are we gonna do about it? <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, we have a Twitter. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, like, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts at so so cool pod. On Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. And stay frosty. Stay frosty, everybody. (laughs) We play nothing but rock.